At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Okay, welcome to the show today. I'm your host, Doug Crow, and of course, we have lots of rational thoughts. I just think it's a funny clip, so I played all the time. Um, our client today, our friend, our guest, is uh, he's he started, he's sold, he's grown prior companies while taking the value from zero to over a billion dollars. That's right, over one billion dollars. And since exiting these businesses, he's helped many B2B companies uh, compete on something very important called value versus price. So I don't think he, he probably didn't coach Walmart. Um, but this value versus pricing obviously helped achieve explosive growth. He's also co-author of the bestseller, Same Side Selling, which hosts podcasts, also called Same Side Selling, 300 episodes and counting. Um, you can read hundreds of his articles in Forbes and Inc. He's also a popular keynote speaker, consistently recognized as one of the uh, world's top 30 experts on sales. And his Same Side Selling Academy is rated one of the top five sales development programs globally. I want to hear about that. Um, he lives in Maryland. He's got a, uh, two adultish children. Let's find out more about that. A dog, a wife, 25 years. He says that he doesn't deserve. That means he's a good salesman, so we're going to listen to him. Uh, welcome our host. I'm the host. Welcome to the guest today, Mr. Ian Altman. I know <laughs> Doug, Doug wait. Doug, I can be the host if you need me to be. I might. I, I might. Obviously, today, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm like a Chevy Chase saying, hello, I'm, what was that thing on Saturday Night Live? I'm Chevy Chase, and you're <laughs> and, not. And you're not, exactly. Right? <laughs> God. Just switch the labels. I'll be Doug Crow today. Yeah, I could do. We could do that in the mix. Um, listen, man, I'm uh, I'm very interested because you know some people love sales, some people like shy away from it, um, but it's always necessary. So tell me what people can learn today in our episode. Well, the first thing is that we're going to talk about how we want to be non-stereotypical salespeople. Because right. if you walk into a store and a hyper ambitious salesperson walks up to you, you're going to say no thanks. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we don't come across like a stereotypical salesperson. I'll give right. you insight into decisions or questions that leaders make when they're making or approving decisions. So what are the questions they ask that mm -hmm. if we knew what those questions were, would probably change the way we sell. And then yeah. how do we position value versus price? And more importantly, what are the steps we can put in place to actually develop top performing salespeople? Wow. Okay. I'd like to start with the first, the last one first then. Okay. Top performing salespeople. I've, um, I'll just be very candid. I've always been looking for better people than myself to get in, in there and, uh, and we're frozen. Oh, there we go. And, um, you know, obviously do some sales for us. And I'm not sure what it's like in your, you've got a lot of experience and stuff. I've always been something of a, like, I'll show you what we can do. I'll consult with you. If you want to buy great, if you don't great. So I'm very low key, like attraction type stuff, but high performers, I think they've got a, good blend of creating desire and then helping them close. Is that true? Or what do you think well, about that? You know what? I, I would actually say that your, your approach is dead on what actually defines the most top performers. Yeah. So the, the greatest number of top performers are not pushy salespeople. Right. See, there are three personas in the world of sales. You mm -hmm. have an order taker, you have a stereotypical salesperson, you have a subject matter expert. The uh -huh. order taker in most industries, if they haven't been already, will be replaced by Amazon. Because if you know exactly what you want, you just want the lowest price, I can order yeah. on my phone. It arrives within a short period of time. Yeah. So now I have to decide between salesperson and subject matter expert. doesn't mm -hmm. matter which ones you think you have or which one you think you are. The reality is when we are the customer, who do we want to deal with? 
well, we want to deal with the subject matter expert. Yeah. So top performers come across as a subject matter expert, not someone who's there to sell. What right. that means is that in the very early stages, we have to use a principle called disarming. And the notion of disarming is to say, look, I am more committed to the outcome for you than to the sale, which means if I don't think that we have the right fit, then I don't want to do the deal either. Yeah. If in fact, it looks like we have a good fit, then we have something to talk about. If it yeah. looks like I can help, if you've convinced me you got a problem worth solving, then guess what? You and I have something to talk to, to get to a good outcome. But yeah. if you don't have a problem worth solving, why should I spend time trying to find a solution to something you don't care about solving? It's, it's so true. I, I hate to give you my stories, but I love this topic so much. I used to work at Nextel, you know, the telecom company. And I got to corporate accounts after a couple of years there. I worked with FBI, City of Chicago. One of my accounts was 3M. And I got a chance to sit down with 3M, go through their cellular plans, what they needed for their company. You know, it's a pretty big company, right? 3M. And I'm looking at where their people are, what's going on. I'm like, I got the perfect solution for you. They said, great. What is it? I said, it's not us. It's AT&T. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what? I said, yeah, our coverage doesn't match what you what you guys really have here. But AT&T does. I'd recommend going with them. And they're like, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to say something that's not going to fit or work or get returns. I mean, it's obvious to me. But, you know, my, my boss was like, you did what? He goes, yeah, it wasn't a good fit. And he's like. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because because what happens is your boss was looking at it as, well, I want to make the sale. And yeah. the reality is that we all know that if we end up with the wrong clients, we get sucked into the vortex of evil. Right. Yep. And it's like this horrible experience of right us down. constantly underperforming for what the client's expectations are. Now, right. in order to do that, because we talked about this idea of top performing reps and what do they do? Yeah. There's a framework or structure that we need them to have to ensure that they're successful because everyone will say on the surface, yeah, that makes sense. Our people should do that. Now, if I said, now, how do you actually accomplish that? They'd go, well, I don't know, but I think it's a good idea. So I can lay out for you a little bit of the framework behind that. In fact, in oh, our yeah. same side selling Academy, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered that it's, it's achieved the ranking it has in a short period of time. We have better than 95% renewal rate. And we're in year three, which is for digital platforms, not that common. No. And there are things that we didn't have in there in year one that we listened to our clients and yeah. adapted to. And it's not the, the, the point of this is not, oh, you should join the same side selling academy. It's more yeah. the things we put in there, you can put into your business. Anyone can put into their business. It's the same structure. You can build it on your own. You don't need to license what we have. But I'm happy for people to learn better ways to do it yeah. because when people mess up sales, they mess it up for everybody, not just themselves. That's right. It's trickle down salesonomics, yeah. right? So, so if you want, let me let me lay out if you think it'll be yeah, helpful. Yeah, please do. I want to hear it. I can, I can yeah. lay out the three the three core elements. So, mm -hmm. we we structure this in in our same side selling academy. One of the one of the sections we call the core, and the core is ten lessons. Each lesson is a video lesson that, that maxes out at about 10 minutes. Some of them are five or six minutes. There's a detailed worksheet with each one. So what that signals to you is, okay, a seven-minute lesson doesn't take you seven minutes. It's seven minutes to understand the fundamentals. Then you got to do a bunch of work. And then there are quizzes to reinforce that knowledge. Right. Now, when we first launched it, we assumed, great, if I give a team a bunch of lessons numbered one to 10, 
and each lesson has a worksheet and has a quiz, they will naturally start at lesson one. They will use the worksheet. They will take the quiz. You will be overestimating your audience because people don't do that. So we had to spell it out for people and say, wow. here's lesson one. Hey, did you do the worksheet? I noticed you haven't. Okay. Hey, have you taken the quiz? Okay. Well, you got two out of five questions, right? Not exactly a passing score. Why don't you give that another shot? And then we have, you know, we have a dashboard that monitors all this for the, for the leaders. Yeah. Yeah. So the first piece is this core that gives a consistent methodology that says we all have the same language, we all have the same process, we have the same objectives at each step through the process, great. Mm -hmm. The second thing that top performers need is a playbook of dealing with common objections. We call it our objection clinic, but the yeah. idea of the objection clinic is what are the things that come up all the time that you just, you wing it each time, even though it comes up all the time. I talk to people like, oh, this just happened with this client. And I'll time say, and money. Yeah, it's like, well, by the way, it's time and money, but it's also things like, well, they seem really interested and then they went silent or they like our stuff, but they said the other guys are 10% less or, hey, this is fine, but we need you to talk to procurement or, well, I'm the procurement person and no, you can't talk to these other people. All those things come up over and over again. Yeah. And every organization you talk to says, well, I mean, we don't really have a documented process for that. Why not? If it happens all the time, you probably have some people on your team who do an amazing job and some people who don't. What if we could memorialize the process that's working, right. demonstrate that, create a, create a playbook on how to deal with those situations so you say, oh, you already have an existing vendor? I've got two different approaches that I use for that. Here's yeah. method A, here's method B. I see which one works best for me. Fantastic. And so that playbook gives you a, a way to deal with those common challenges. I will tell you, by the way, a spoiler, spoiler alert for your audience, when the client says to you, hey, we love you guys, but the other guys are 10% more. Yeah. If they actually love the other guys also, they wouldn't be calling you. They would have just taken the deal for 10% less. That's right. They're telling you at that point that they prefer you, but they want to pay the cheaper price. Now your job is to sell and help them understand why that additional value is worth it. Sure. The last thing that many people overlook is this idea of regular recurring coaching. In our world, mm -hmm. we have something in the in the academy. Every month, we do something called the Coach's Corner. It's live coaching with me. It's one of my favorite things I do every month. Yeah. We, we do a live session. Everything gets recorded and transcribed, edited down to little segments. So in an hour-long segment, we nice. might have 15 individual topics that you can full-text search them. They're categorized and all that. But the idea is that if we don't give our team a way to practice – then they just, they hear these concepts, but they're never going to use them in the heat of the moment. And instead we mm -hmm. need to come up with a way that says, how do we make it so it's okay for them to practice, have it not work out. And so people in sales, they say, oh, well, I, I never practice. Why not? Right. And, and you've, you've dealt with people in sales. So what, sure. what are some of the big reasons they give for why they don't practice, why they don't role play? Well, the bigger thing with is, you know, ego. Most of them think I'm good enough. I know how to do things. That's okay. that's one. Yeah. So yeah. ego, ego is one. So I'm already good enough, which yeah. I guess is why top athletes don't practice. Oh, they do. Ooh, okay. Oops. okay. Wait, top musicians. Oh, they, oops. okay. We all want to go to a surgeon who never practices right now. So that doesn't work. The other big one they tell me is this. They say, well, it, it's embarrassing. It's awkward. Right. And my answer to that is, OK, so what you're telling me is. When you screw up, you want it to count. 
Like you want to actually lose business when you mess up. I, love it. I, love like, it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a silly way to look at things. So we have, we, we have something in, in the Academy we call same side improv. So it uses the principles of improv. The idea is that yeah. it's, it's, it's built around the foundation of the, of the top three questions that in my research across 10,000 executives, these are the top three questions that people ask. So how do we navigate the conversation? You have a salesperson, you have a customer, you have an observer. The person playing the customer picks these, what, what we call secret cards. So they flip uh -huh. over these cards and the card could say something like, you're just trying to get free information. You don't trust vendors. You already have a preferred vendor, things like that. So what happens is during the role play, during these improvs, wow. you start to hear certain things. And what it does, yeah. it builds experience so that when you're with an actual client, the client says something, you're like, wait a minute, that's the same thing we say. It's the same mm -hmm. question we ask when we have that card. I bet you they already have a preferred vendor. And then you look and say, it sounds like you guys already have a preferred vendor. Yeah, we're just trying to make sure we're getting the right deal. Okay. And then there's a whole, then we use a playbook for, oh, they've got an existing preferred vendor. What are the two methods we use to deal with that situation? And wow. so the cool part is that it's not rocket science. It requires some discipline. It means people actually have to put in the work. Yeah. But I was just talking to one of our members yesterday, small company, the guys in like manufacturing, yeah. they, they were just moving to a new location. So new territory, new location, hiring a whole new team. I said, how are things going? He says, we're on pace to grow 55 to 65% this year. We just land our largest account and our typical sales cycle is nine months. As you know, we started in the Academy six months ago. Yeah. And so we just landed our largest account ever. And we first wow. had a conversation with them 45 days ago. So, but once again, it's about the discipline. I always say, I don't care which system it is. It doesn't have to be same side selling. It could be any sure. system. Yeah. It's having the discipline to follow a process and then make yeah. adjustments. That's the key to it. Um, if this is a, a topic you, talk, you could address, great. If not, we can move on quickly. But like, do you have any like, what do you find your top talent for, for sales organizations? If you're a sales manager wanting to find like really good people, is that always like stealing from competition or brand new or somewhere else? Well, so a lot of it right now, since it's a highly competitive market in terms of yeah. recruiting talent, Tough. it's less about where do you find them? And it's more, how do you attract them? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's, it's like, sure. You can go to one of your competitors and mm -hmm. try and steal somebody. Um, but you got to think about, so why would they leave where they're currently at to come to us? Yeah. And if people are leaving solely because of money, the problem is that they'll leave you solely because of money too. So it's kind of like your, 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 your USP of value versus price, right? It's the same yeah, thing. Got exactly. Okay. In fact, in fact, I work with a number of businesses on what we call same side recruiting. And yeah. so how do we, how do we attract the right people? So that for starters, you're going to recruit by saying things like, Hey, do you, do you have, are, are you working in a place right now where you feel kind of underappreciated, where you're being micromanaged, where you don't have autonomy to really thrive, where you don't have the right tools to achieve your full potential, mm -hmm. then we'd love to talk to you about whether or not we might be a fit. Here are the yeah. types of clients we serve. Here's who's a good fit. Here's who's not. And now someone looks and goes, wait, I, I, those things caught my attention and these attributes do sound like me. Okay. Now they're interested and they're pursuing you instead of you pursuing them. My favorite question to ask potential salespeople, Doug, mm -hmm. is this, is anytime one of my clients is hiring a salesperson, occasionally they'll ask me, hey, will you interview these people? Sure. And one of the questions I ask them is, tell me about a deal that you thought you should have won, but you lost, and tell me why you lost it. And what I will tell you is having asked that question to 
hundreds, not thousands, but hundreds of reps, yeah, there are only two categories of answers that you will get. The first follow one, the, the what's that? Not lack of follow through. No, no. The, the, the first no. one, the first one is this. The first one is, I mean, yeah, the lack of follow through is going to be part of that, but fundamentally, if you think about it in the broad categories, it's yeah. either something happened that was unfair that was done to me and I am the victim as the seller, like, oh, well, they didn't tell me this or they were already working with somebody else. Or in other words, there, there's some external force, which is why they lost the deal. The second category is the people who will say to me, well, this happened, which means I didn't do this or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Hire the second person, don't hire the first one. The first one, they'll give you a really plausible, legit, good story it will not be their last good story. <laughs> It'll be with you. They, they will have many other good stories as to why things didn't work. Man, it goes to leadership and accountability. It's hone up for your, because my first reaction is, yeah, I didn't do, I was thinking of, you're saying this, thinking of one a couple of years ago, I really liked the guy. He didn't do a book with me. I'm like, why didn't he? I'm like, well, because you didn't follow up, idiot. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, I got busy. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a, I had a, I had someone who I'd done work with in the past. These guys, yeah. when they started working with me, they were like 17 million. This guy was the VP of sales at that organization. Yeah. We helped him grow over three years from 15 to 75 million. Wow. He went he went on to another company. Yeah. He reached out to me and said, "Hey, can you help my team?" And of yeah. course, his team had a gazillion different questions. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the right way to say this without without it sounding. Oh no! This is, you can say whatever you want in the show. You can swear. You can. No, no. I'm just. It's just more. It's just more. I'm busy enough that like I don't jump through a lot of hoops, and so I was like, okay, look, I'll give you guys a quick response on this, but I'm sure other people are going to create a, a, a you know this huge document. Yeah. Your boss is a guy whose business I helped grow fivefold. Like I don't really have time to go through all. I didn't say it that way, but it was like. Here's what I have. It's not the greatest thing. So I, I, I sent it off to them. It's one of the few times I'll send a proposal because it was like a prior client. All right, yeah. here's here's this proposal. Never heard back. So he gets back to me like six months later and says, oh, I'm sorry. Nothing ever happened with this. And I, I feel really badly. And I said, Frank, it, it's not you. I said, I felt badly because I couldn't actually give you guys the proper attention because I was too busy. And I yeah. didn't want someone else on my team to write up a document for you because we had worked together in the past. And my thought was, because at one point they said, well, are there any references that we can contact? And I said, yeah, yeah go down and boss. talk to Frank, go talk to your boss, because that's why I'm here. And it's like, yeah. you know, and it, and it sounds really arrogant to respond that way. But I'm like, and what I said to him was I said, if there's somebody you would trust more than Frank, let me know who they are and I'll see if they're happy to talk to you. No, it's it's not arrogant, Ian. I, I have a clear definition of arrogance. It's this. Um, arrogance is you telling somebody how great you are and confidence is having someone else telling somebody how great you are. So it's you're you you did it right. Hey, talk to Frank. You're not yeah. saying I'm the best in the world, it's saying Frank 15 million to 75. You know, what do you think? You want that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's like you know what we, we had on on, uh, on the Same Side Selling podcast about a month yeah. ago, we had a client of mine who's in the construction industry. Uh -huh. And he's telling their story about how they were $100 million three years in a row. Yeah. And then they started implementing these principles of Same Side Selling. And he was on to share the story of how now this past year, they just finished at about $600 million. And wow, so I was- What time to go from 106? Um, five years. Jeez, that's so, brilliant. But still, it's, you know, it's still five years. And guess what? It required yeah. discipline. 
They're, yeah. they're a great quality team in terms of execution. So mm -hmm. they took these concepts. Guess what? They were a talented team before. They just didn't really have a playbook. They didn't have a structure. They didn't have a process. Yeah. Now they do. And because they're a successful team, what do they do? They focused on the biggest thing that I had to push them into was, look, here are the clients for whom you have the greatest impact. There's also a subset of clients that you have that aren't your ideal clients who yeah. you're still doing business with. Yeah. You need to walk away from those and focus on the ones you serve best. Absolutely. And by the way, it was a scary thing for them to do because they're like, okay, we're between 100 and 120. You're telling us to walk away from 10 to $15 million a year in business. Yep. And somehow it's going to work out. I'm like, it will. You just like, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like the force, right? Just, you know, you got to trust the force. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. But my, um, my business coach was listening in on one of my calls a couple of years ago. And he said these exact uh, close words. Uh, you know what, Doug? You were talking to this one guy. You were excited. He was excited. You seemed like you really got along well. We're like, we're like, this second call I listened to, you were, he sounded kind of bored or like he didn't care or whatnot. And what's, there was a different, what's the difference between these two customers or two prospects? And so the first guy wanted to like change the world, do things great with his book. I really liked it. The second guy was all about himself and his ego. He's a celebrity on TV. I just, I just didn't care. And he said, why'd you bother talking to him? I said, well, I, you know, I'm in business to do books. I need the money. He goes, did you get the deal? I said, no. Yeah, exactly. He said, well, I want you to stop talking to people you don't want to work with. Yeah. I said, well, geez, that's like 40% of my clients, you know? Yeah. He said, stop talking to people that aren't going to make the world a better place, right? Yeah. Ego-based books, but people are going to make change, leadership books, whatever, and focus on that. I started doing that. My call volume dropped. 30, 40% business went up 300%. Yeah, exactly. So that's a, that's the same thing here. And in the construction yeah. side, yeah. these guys would go out, everyone in construction assumes it's all about price. Oh, everything's, everything's so competitive. No one can get more for general conditions. These guys routinely charge 20 to 30% more for general conditions. Wow. They, they come in, but their whole, their whole methodology is we know these industries better than anybody else. Here's we track the history of change orders. And other than when the client introduced the change order, like, hey, we decided we want to add yeah. this other thing, right? Their their change order rate is less than one percent. Their projects are delivered like 99.94% on time. And so people come to them and say, Well, these other guys said there'll be less. You know what? I'm guessing they I'm guessing that they would. And if we weren't committing to this level of performance and this and having this track record of, of change orders and didn't have this experience in your space, we might be charging less too. What do you want to do? And the client's like, okay, yeah, we're using you guys because wow. you know, they, and they, they just, they own that market and they, they've got a great culture in terms of they use same side selling in their recruiting as well. I mean, it's just throughout the organization, but it's cool when you see companies grow. I mean, we have case studies of companies that went from 20% to 95% of the team hitting their numbers in one year. It's not rocket science. It's just, there's, there's so much hype out there where yeah. people don't deliver. If you simply focus on how do I deliver results for my clients that they can measure, it leads to repeat and referral business. If yep. you make the sale, but they don't get the results, less bad exciting. News. Yeah. Bad news. Wow. So much value here. What's give me a story of like um, other than your great successes, any like obvious to you goose where people just couldn't get around the same the, the same side selling concept? Well, it's it's less about the same side selling concept. See, there's there's research I've done 
with, like I said, over 10,000 executives on how people make and approve decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I run people, I was, when I first started doing this research, I wanted to come up with the name of an exercise that was easy to spell, pronounce, and remember. Okay. So, I, so I call it the Gesertenblatt exercise. <laughs> and, Good one. And the idea of the Gesertenblatt exercise is this, is that there are, you're an executive, someone on your team comes to you and says, we, we got to buy this Gesertenblatt. It costs $20,000, takes 45 days for the vendor to deliver whatever it is, product, service, doesn't matter. They give us a 10-year guarantee, and it requires no resources whatsoever on our part. Okay. What are the five questions you have to have answered to be comfortable making an informed decision? So I put executives in groups, have them go through this exercise. Then, so I do that in four minutes. Then I give them a minute and a half to reduce their top three questions. Yeah. And consistently across over 10,000 executives around the world, they come up with the same three questions every time. And the three questions are this, right? So like, the, the, by the way, the people who are trying to sell people a bill of goods would be like, oh, and you can, you got to sign up for my thing to get the three questions. I think that's BS. So anyhow, so I'm going to just tell people, here are the Thank three you. questions. We'll here put the, the show questions. notes below in case, you, exactly. in case you're just reading this. Go ahead. So here, here are the three questions. The first question is, what problem or problems does this solve? So I'm the executive. I'm like, okay, well, what problem is this solving for us? And the second question is kind of the flip side of that same coin, which is why do we need it? Yeah. Namely, what happens if we don't solve that? Why yeah. do we need it? In most businesses comes down to what's the financial impact of not solving the, the issue? Yeah. The third question is the ROI question, which is what's the likely result or outcome? It's not yeah. what do the sales reps say? It's what do we believe will be the likely outcome, which could include our own hesitation about our own capabilities to implement whatever it is we're buying? Yes. Yeah, that's in, in my world. That's half of the challenge. Like, Absolutely. Is my story good enough to be in a book? I'm like, I don't know. Let's talk. Yeah, we're going to find out. Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. So yeah. so once you know those questions, right? and keep in mind, we go from five to three. One of the ones that often comes up is. Well, what are the alternatives? It never makes the top three. It's usually number four. Yeah. And the reason why is I ask people like, look, if I had a vendor and I'm in complete sync with them about what problem we're trying to solve and why we need their help. And it's also mm -hmm. the vendor I feel can deliver the greatest value per invested dollar. Mm -hmm. And that's my vendor. So if I address those first three questions, well, the fourth yeah. one becomes implied. If the way you are selling today is not aligned with those questions, recognize that you're lengthening rather than shortening the sales cycle. And so once you know that, once you know, okay, these are the questions that people need to answer, then it changes the way you sell. So now mm -hmm. you spend your life saying, okay, what are the questions I need to ask so that I and the client get the information they need to get this approved? Yeah. I, I think salespeople really underestimate the power of questions. You know, they just tend to, you know, talk so much, they forget that, you know, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You really want them to tell you why. I had one guy once, he was was role-playing, teaching sales stuff, and um, he said, well, well, why do you think, uh, how do you phrase it? He was role-playing the, uh, the customer, and he said something along the lines of, well, why do you think that um, I should hire you? So he said, he's, he, he wanted me to ask the customer, basically, you tell me why I, why you should work with me. Like, sell me on, sell me on me. It was really strange in the flow. I'm, I'm messing this up right now in the flow of the questions. It made total sense. Cause it, it, it compelled the 
prospect to tell the salesperson why he wanted to buy from him. And the well, way he phrased it was brilliant. It was really good. Yeah, so there, there, there's, some, there's some ways you can do that that are very effective. Yeah. I spend a lot of time with people on, here's the structure of questions, but yeah. scripts don't work. So no. if someone has a script, because we've all been on the receiving end of a phone call from someone reading a script. Okay, well, it's a phone call. How do you know they're reading a script? Because it's not their words. Yeah. You can yeah. tell it's not their words. So right. if you help people understand how and why and give them a framework, then they can come up with their own questions that get to the root of the matter. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that disarm part is really early, is really important early because mm -hmm. if the client says to you, well, well, so 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 tell me like, you know, what's your what's your process like for the books? You can say, you know what, I don't even know yet if our process is the right fit for you. That's right. And the people who are who come to me for help with books are usually trying to solve one of two or three core issues. Let yeah. me lay one of those out for you. I'll lay those three out. If one of them piques your interest, we got something to talk about. If not, we'll probably have a really short conversation. You ready? Let me go through them. And then it's like, here's the first one. Here's the second yeah. one. Here's the third one. Yeah. Does one of those pique your interest? Yeah, the second one. Really? Why that one? And now what are they telling you? They're telling you what problem they're trying to solve. Oh, well, what happens if you don't solve that? Oh, well, now you've gotten to why do they need it? Okay. Well, if we were wildly successful, what would we measure a year from now mm -hmm. to know this was successful? And now we got to the results or outcomes. So it's something that in, in same side selling, we refer to these as the same side quadrants. Uh -huh. The idea is you take a blank sheet of paper, draw a vertical line down the center, horizontal line across, creating four quadrants. Okay. The upper left, we take notes about the issue, namely, what has it inspired you to meet with us today? What caught your attention? Yeah. In the upper right quadrant, we take notes about the impact and importance, namely, what happens if you don't solve this? How important is this compared to other things? Mm -hmm. The lower left quadrant, we take notes about the results, mm -hmm. which is just because you pay me money doesn't mean we're successful. What are we going to measure together, which demonstrates that you care more about the outcome than the sale? And mm -hmm. the lower right quadrant is a special one, which is others impacted because we've all had deals that we thought were a done deal and yeah. someone's name came up the 11th hour. We didn't know who they were. That's how we make sure we don't miss people like that. But yeah. that structure in meetings makes it so that you're now focused on the things that move the needle for the client and you get to the truth like that, which means for a lot of my clients, they thin out their pipeline early on. Yeah. But then instead of having a pipeline that's five times what they need to hit, they have a pipeline that's one and a half times, but it's actually factual instead of yeah. all hype. Well, I, I got to cut you a check now. I just I just revised my sales process. Probably <laughs> saved me half an hour reapping on the phone. Um, where does money come in that quadrant? So, so here's the interesting thing. If I understand what the impact is mm -hmm. of them not solving the problem, if I understand what we're going to measure together for success, then I have a pretty good idea of what the value is, which is the delta between the yeah, impact right. and the results. Right. So now someone says, well, I mean, right now, by not having a book, Doug, it's costing me X dollars and, you know, I don't get this visibility and, yeah. you know, and, and so it's, it's costing me, I'm probably losing $5,000 per speaking gig because of that. Well, how sure. many gigs do you do a year? Well, I do like, you know, 30 events a year. Okay, so that's how much? And let them say, well, it's $150,000. Yeah. Okay, and if we're successful, what would you see? Well, I'd probably end up doing 50 events a year and I'd probably, and $10,000 more. Well, that's like a half million. You think that's realistic? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's half that. Okay, so it's a quarter million. So you feel like you're giving up 150, so it's like $400,000. Okay, well, in order to accomplish what you're talking about, you're probably going to invest about $25,000. Your call, should we not continue? But it's now in the context of, what the delta is to them. 
Yeah. And if you don't know that, it may be totally worthless. Right. So Dude, there's a. I, 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 you, you, you do individual training for people too? <laughs> or only, only, the, only the course? Is that what you do? I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think you need individual training. I think you're doing just fine. Not but. me, but if I bring, I bring somebody on, I've been, I've been like actively trying, but occasionally someone cross calls for a radar. I'm like, I don't have time to train them. But what you, know, you know what? You know what? Do I do I work with people individually? Yeah, there's a small number of clients I work with each quarter. I will tell you that, it's in expensive. most cases, the fact that in our academy people can ask any question they want, and yeah. we give them that that one-on-one -on -one coaching. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like what I tell people is, I'm like, okay, you can pay a thousand dollars a year for the academy, or you can pay twenty-five grand a quarter. Like, why don't you start here? And if that works, great. And if you need yeah. the other, you can always avail yourself of that. But right. start with something that might give you everything you need. Yeah, it's I'll like you know that. this 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 client that that grew uh -huh. between fifty five and sixty five percent this year, landed their largest account. He's, he's been in the academy for six months. Yeah, you know he he invested in a cohort initially, and as part of the academy, he's invested a whopping five thousand dollars, and you know he's he's seeing seven figures in return. So for him, he's like, yeah, I thought he's, he's, he said, I was talking to him yesterday. He said, yeah, I think it's funny that I was concerned about the five grand at the time. I said, you know what? It's not silly. I said, how many things did you invest in that didn't actually do anything? So God, yeah. that's the challenge is there's a bunch of stuff that either they're not committed to doing stuff or you weren't in the right head headspace to do the work that was necessary. It could have been a great program, yeah. but in this case, you had something that was effective and you were in the right head place. So you could get it done. Headspace, fantastic. You got great results, but right. you know, it, it could, it could be, it could be them, could be us. I mean, you never, you never quite know what's causing that. And so, so that's okay. I mean, one of the things that, that I often point to is this, Doug, salespeople come out of a meeting and it usually sounds like this. I mean, we, we've all heard it. You can probably fill in the blanks. Oh, Doug, I got to tell you, I just had the best meeting. It was incredible. <laughs> the, the two of us, we were scheduled to speak for only 20 minutes, but the yes. meeting lasted for how long? Yeah. An hour. Oh my right. God. Amazing meeting. Incredible. Yeah. And the two of us, we got together, man, we just clicked. We connected and the meeting went so well. We've already set up a time next week to meet yeah. again. And that would be a great summary of a really positive meeting. Mm -hmm. If it had been set up on match.com. <laughs> But it's not a great way to summarize a good business meeting. But these quadrants are. So the quadrants give us a structure of yeah. summarizing which meetings are worth our time, which ones aren't, which ones are real and which ones aren't. And yeah. when you start to get put the finger on the pulse of that, you start investing your time in the right areas. There's a whole bunch of stuff we spend on how do we differentiate compared to the competition. In most cases, right. our problem is not that we don't know the difference. It's that we haven't made it clear to our clients the difference between what other people offer and what we offer. And that's mm -hmm. our fault. And if that's the case, there are things we can do to improve that. So the client clearly knows we offer something better than the next person. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I don't apologize for, for uh, bringing this on me and my company, but because it's my show, I can do what I want. Exactly. Um, <laughs> What about something which is intangible? Like there's a lot of half my clients is not about the money. They don't care. They just want the legacy. And it's, I mean, the only thing I come up with is like, oh, the, the outcome of you know, the book is oblivion. You know, nobody knows you existed. I mean, it's pretty dark stuff, but it's, there's no monetary reason. It's just, they want to have the legacy. Yeah. They want to have a legacy of books. So, so if you don't get that, is it any big deal? And the answer is, if you just asked a question like that and said, 
So if it doesn't happen, is that a big deal? I mean, wh why is it worth doing? You know, you want to have a legacy. That's great. Let's say you don't, because there's a lot of work involved in, in producing a book and getting it to market. Is it going to be worth the time to do that? And what you're doing in essence is letting them convince you right. that it's worth doing. So mm -hmm. my guess is if you push back with that type of question, mm -hmm. the people who convinced you it was worth doing, 70% of those would end up going through with a book. The other ones, if you check back with them three years later, they will not have done a book with anybody. Oh, that's so true. I'll, I'll end on my little story here. I had a guy, big insurance firm, does very, very well, eight-figure guy, going to do a book. Okay, great. You know, give, Oh, I'm going to do this book with you, Doug. I just need about four months to get some things in order, and I'm going to get going on it. I'm like, okay, great. Hey, by the way, during those four months, there's probably a few things we could do to help you prepare for it. So why don't we go in and, you know, engage whatnot. He said, that sounds great, but I'm going to wait four months, and then we'll, we'll, we'll call back. So, okay, fine. I said, well, talk in four months. And um, I said, by the way, before I hang up, I want you to know something that I hear that a lot where people are going to do this thing later. Um, and it might not be you, but so far I've checked it with 12 years and nobody who has had the idea comes back later and does the book. Oh, I'm different, he says. I'm like, yeah, they all say that too. <laughs> so I checked on Amazon. It's been two years. He's not published anything. No, of course not. I mean, the reality is it's funny because – I produced, I, I like to call, I've published two and a half books. So oh, yeah. Inside Selling is in the second edition. So when you do a second edition of a book and you really overhaul it, you yeah. kind of wrote, wrote another book. And Inside Selling is one of those books where it sells as many copies as more or more today than it did when yeah. we first launched it. So, yeah. you know, it's mm -hmm. got a pretty good staying in terms of a tale. Every time right. someone says, you're going to write another book. I'm like, well, I have to be convinced that there's a void in the market that needs it. And then I have to be committed to the amount of effort to actually produce it. And if those things happen, sure, I'm open to it. But other than that, right now, there's nothing so compelling. And I've got drafts of two or three different books right. like, outlined and laid out. It's just a question of, yeah, you know what? I, you know, it, it's not that important to me. And the, and the concepts that Jack and I talk about in Same Side Selling, Jack is a guy who spent two decades in purchasing and procurement. Wow. So the book right. is all about the adversarial traps to pit buyer and seller against one another. And instead okay. of using a battle or game metaphor, we use a puzzle metaphor. So it's two people trying to put a puzzle together and we get into here's what's really going on in the buyer's mind during this area. Wow. It's a, yeah. the first and only book we're aware of that has those two perspectives. And yeah. it's funny because we get large group purchasing organizations that will that will do like a bulk purchase of fifteen hundred copies to give to their suppliers and say, you know, if you sold to us this way, we would buy more of your stuff. <laughs> Please let me buy from you. Just don't be a jerk. I love exactly. it, man. You know, I, you figured out, I've, I've, I've read, you know, dozens of, of sales books. So I feel sometimes like people repeat themselves over and over again. This is, and I, I had a couple that I, I, um, I really enjoyed. I read Orrin Claff's uh, spin selling book, which is mm -hmm. brilliant. Um, I'm going to get your book. I, I apologize. I didn't get a chance to do it before the, the interview, but definitely it sounds like a, uh, a winner. And when we're done with the podcast, Stan, I want to give you a couple, a couple of people might be great guests for your same size cool. podcast as well. People in the, in the Perfect. sales Good industry question. who do, do very well at achieve some big numbers. So any last thoughts or parting points of wisdom here, Ian? I don't know about wisdom, but people can find me online at Ian yeah. Altman, I-A-N-A-L-T-M-A-N, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all over. Same side selling. If you just go to samesideselling.com, you'll learn all about same side selling. And in fact, we'll set up a page 
that'll be samesideselling.com slash Doug Crow. So your name all spelled out. And that way, anybody who's interested can go there and we'll give them access to certain portions of the Same Side Selling Academy that they wouldn't get access to otherwise. And that way they can kind of kick around. If it gives them ideas, all I ask is that you drop me a note to say, hey, we picked up this one idea. Here's what it's doing for us. That's great. That's wonderful, man. I really appreciate that. That link is in the show notes below here, folks. So check it out. Ian, um, I'd love to have you back again in a few months, talk more about this stuff. This is a great topic. You're a wonderful guest, obviously, because you're also a host. You know how to how to chit-chat. Um, so let's do that again sometime, shall we? Happy to. Thanks, okay, Doug. great. Thanks so much. We'll see you again soon. Uh, that concludes our show today. Ian Alban, brilliant guy. Get his book, Same Side Selling. It sounds like a winner. I, uh, I'm going to get my own copy. So this is our, our show today. Don't forget to click below for show notes and get some free goodies by subscribing. This is your host, Doug Crow. Have a good one.